0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the men, the women, the youth, and children that make up the family at Ellerslie. As we come to hear your word this morning from the book of 2 Timothy, may our eyes be open so that we might see you more beautifully. May our minds be open so that we might understand you more deeply. And may our hearts and hands be open so that we might receive you and serve you more freely. God, I pray that my words would fall down so that your words would be lifted up, and by the power of your Holy Spirit working at each and every one of our lives and hearts, that you would say to us what we need to hear from you this morning. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. I've been pastoring here for about a year and a half, and there's something that you should probably know about me I'm a little bit of a geek. Now, I've been following the NFL uh, draft and the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs, but at heart, I'm a little bit of a geek. On my nightstand is a fantasy book. If you were to ask my four-year-old, what's your favorite thing to do, he would say, playing Mario Kart with Daddy. And just two days ago, my most anticipated movie of my lifetime opened, the new Avengers movie, Infinity War. Many of you may not have cable, many of you may not care about this movie, but allow me two to five minutes to just geek out for a little while. Over the last 10 years, comic book movies have made a resurgence in the entertainment industry. And Marvel, which is owned by Disney, has created the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've given us movies like Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Thor, my favorite, Spider-Man. And while each superhero fights their own battles, Every so often, Earth's mightiest heroes come together to assemble the Avengers and save our planet from imminent destruction. I haven't seen the movie. There's no spoilers in this message. To paraphrase the plot summary from Marvel Studios, over the last few years, as the Avengers and their allies have continued to protect the world from threats too large for any one hero to handle, a new danger has emerged from the cosmic shadows, Thanos the evil purple people-eater you see behind me, is an intergalactic ruler with incredible power, and his ultimate aim is to fill that gauntlet with six infinity stones, which he plans to use to inflict his will on all of reality. Everything the Avengers have fought for has led to this moment. The fate of Earth and existence itself has never been more uncertain. Sounds pretty good, right? The reason myself and millions of others are going to flock to the theater over the next few weeks is certainly to be entertained, but there's something else going on as well. Whether people realize it or not, when fantasy is done right, it gives us an even deeper understanding of reality. C.S. Lewis, author of The Chronicles of Narnia, says this about fantasy. At all ages, if fantasy and myth is used well by the author and meets the right reader, it has the same power, To generalize while remaining concrete. To present in palpable form, not concepts or even experiences, but whole classes of experience. And to throw off irrelevancies. But at its best, it can do even more. It can give us experiences we have never had, and thus, instead of commenting on life, can add to it. As people flock towards the theaters over the next while, they are going to watch an intergalactic villain be attacked by this band of superheroes. And I think a number of people sit in those seats going, wouldn't it be great to be a part of that fight? What if that invitation was extended to you? What if you got to become a guardian of the galaxy and to fight against an evil villain? What if this invitation is so real as is the enemy? We might not be fighting against some purple cosmic tyrant, but a force that's even more sinister. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Thanos wants to destroy the physical world. Satan wants to destroy your soul. We have to band together. We have to fight for truth. We have to overcome differences and suffer for Jesus or everything is lost. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're brand new here and you don't own a Bible and would like one, there should be a Bible in the pew racks in front of you. That is our gift to you this morning if you don't own one. A Bible can be a little bit intimidating, so I encourage you to open to the table of contents. If you don't know where the book of 2 Timothy is, you'll find it underneath the New Testament. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 for about the next half hour. So as you open your Bibles and your devices, I want to tell you one more superhero story. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday, Pastor Mel stood up and read a tearful resignation of our Uh, associate uh, youth um, director it shocked our youth ministry it shocked our youth leaders it shocked many of you in this church but the congregation has bonded together on Monday morning I had breakfast with our old youth pastor Sid Bergsma and I said Sid we're looking at this trip that the youth take down to Mexico every year and he says count no further count me in I want to be a part of that trip down to Mexico to work with the team that has already come together. Our students have to experience this, shim- this mission uh, trip because it's an experience that will last a lifetime. On Tuesday morning, I met with uh, a couple of our young ladies who help lead the youth group, and they said, Dave, don't worry. We got this. And with grit and determination, you could see these two young ladies representing all of the youth leaders saying, we will figure this out and we will make it happen. On Tuesday night, I made a number of phone calls to parents of youth hoping to have at least one set of parents every Friday night from now until the end of June. Every single set of parents said, count me in, how else can I serve? Brothers and sisters, we are called to guard the gospel. And to do that, we're going to need superhuman efforts to work together to fight against an enemy that is incredibly powerful. If you enjoy taking notes, I've entitled the first part of the outline, Links in the Chain. This is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Someone needs to tell me, Dave, to find 2 Timothy, please go to the table of contents and flip to the appropriate page. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The names of each of the 66 books of the Bible are very simply named. This book, 2 Timothy, is the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy. The Apostle Paul, a wise and seasoned pastor, Timothy, his young protege who he's been working with. I can't tell you how many times in my pastoral career, especially as a young man, where I would walk into my mentor's office, 30, 40 years my senior, and I would say, Bill, I just don't know how to figure this out. I just don't know what to do. I just can't figure out how to best serve my church. He would lift me up, he'd dust me off, and he'd speak great words of encouragement and support to me and pat me on the back and say, Go, Dave. Change the world. How often do we as a church question our faith and we're just looking for that friend, that seasoned mentor to give us the answers that we're looking for? How often do we fight a bout of discouragement and say, God, I just don't have it in me to get to church on Sunday morning? How often do we wonder if our ministry and the work we're doing is making any difference? The entire first chapter of the book of 2 Timothy is a call to faithfulness. Paul reminds Timothy, I am praying for you every day single day. He reminds Timothy, remember your parents and your grandparents who have gone before you, who have equipped you with that good faith. Remember the church that has called you, that has equipped you, that has placed their hands upon you and prayed for you, so that you might go and share the gospel with others. This is very good news and a great reminder to look back at how God has changed our lives so that we're ready to impact others. But Paul follows it up with something even better. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going through a difficult time right now, you might think to yourself, Dave, come on, I know this already. I know God saved me from my sins, and that's wonderful, I'm not discounting that at all, but do you know how difficult my life is right now? What does God's grace mean for me today, right here, at this moment, so that I can keep fighting the good fight? Because right now, I feel like throwing in the towel. There's a second component to grace. The good news of the gospel isn't that we are just saved from sin, but we are saved for good works. Let's put it another way, we're not just saved for salvation, we're saved for service. In calling Timothy to be strong in the grace of Jesus, Paul is reminding him that the same power that saved him from sin has equipped him for ministry. This is an incredible statement. Let's think about that for a moment. Most of us in this room has, have made a decision to follow Jesus. We've heard the good news of the gospel and we've decided, I believe that. We recognize that every one of us in this room has sinned without any exception. We may have hurt somebody with our words. We may have hurt somebody with our actions. Certainly, we don't want our worst thoughts put on that PowerPoint screen behind me. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The author of Hebrews phrases it like this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. All of your sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So there's a little bit of bad news. All of us have sinned and fallen short. But then there's the good news. The Bible says you have a choice to make. You can either decide to pay this penalty on your own and shed your own blood to forgive you your sins. Or you can believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came down from heaven, who lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, and died on the cross for our sins, breaking his body, shedding his blood, and his blood will be sufficient to cover the sins of anyone who asks in the whole world. The good news is incredible. His blood for our sins. His brokenness to make us whole. His death for our life. The same Paul who wrote to Timothy says to the church in Rome, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three days later, by the power of God, Jesus rose to life, and anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That same power that raises Jesus from the grave lives in you today. The very grace, this very same grace that saves you from sin is the very same grace that equips you for life. The same power that saves us from death equips us for ministry. If God has saved us from our sin, will he not help us to overcome our present difficulty? Since God raised his son from the dead, will he not also do incredible works through every person in this room? Now that Jesus has redeemed you, hasn't he invited you to experience the fullness of life? So what does that grace look like? By God's grace, he took Moses, a man with a stutter, and led an entire nation, people suggest over a million people, out of Egypt and into the promised land. By the grace of God, he took a prostitute named Rahab and helped the Israelites overcome a city. By the grace of God, he took Jesse's youngest and most unacceptable son and turned him into the greatest king of all of Israel. By God's grace, he took a servant named Nehemiah, a mere cupbearer to a king, and helped him to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. By God's grace, he used a woman by the name of Mary, an ordinary woman, to be the the mother of his son. By God's grace, he took a band of unruly teenagers and used them to change the world. By God's grace, he took a murderer and helped him to write most of the New Testament. By God's grace, he's using a number of volunteers to lead us in worship on a Sunday morning. By God's grace, there's over 40 men, women, and youth serving our children this morning. By God's grace, he's given us this board and this staff at this time to help us move forward and enhance the gospel in South Edmonton. By God's grace, we have a dozen 20-somethings tirelessly serving the youth. Brothers and sisters, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because as we work with him, the world is changing through the power of God. If you're looking for application in today's message, look no further than this. What is your link in the chain? Upon becoming a follower of Jesus, Timothy joined Paul on one of his missionary journeys. I'm not entirely sure how long that journey lasted, whether it was a couple of years at maximum, a few months at minimum, But after that period of time, Paul looked at his young protege and he said, You're now ready. You're ready to lead a church. Go and equip those people. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't just ask Timothy to go do the work. He asked Timothy to equip people so that ministry would grow and expand and change all of Ephesus. If you look at verse 2 again, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. If you are here this morning and you're serving in the church and in the community, who can you invite alongside you to go and do the good work? If you're working in the nursery, who can you invite with you? And say, come, hold some babies with me. Come, join me to be a part of the worship team so that we can lead the congregation into worship of a great and mighty king. Come, let's lead a small group together so we can share with others the good news of the gospel. Come, let's coach a soccer team because I hear there's some teams that don't have any coaches and build into these young kids. Before I became a pastor here at Ellerslie, I was working as a solo pastor out at a rural church west of the city and one of my goals was to find somebody to replace me. I knew I wouldn't be in Alberta Beach forever and I wanted to work myself out of a job After a little over a year, I found a young man who I thought would be a perfect candidate to be my successor. He was a man of integrity, he loved God, he loved people, and like many of our youth leaders here at Ellerslie, he arrived in Alberta Beach every Friday night faithfully. And under his leadership, the youth group grew from just six people to over two dozen on a regular basis. After a couple of years of leading our youth ministry, he thought, you know, I'm going to go to Vanguard and I'm going to study the Bible for a bit. While he was studying at Vanguard, he started to preach for us as a church family and did an exceptional job. He chose not to pursue full-time ministry, but right now Alberta Beach has a young man who is doing great things for the kingdom of God. He is another link in the chain now building into his youth leaders and building into the youth that are there. Who would you like to join you in gospel work? Who would you like to work with? Who can you see yourself doing ministry with together? Let me go back to the Avengers movie for a moment. I won't stay there, don't worry. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this is because I love story. And yes, I look the statistic up. There are 70 different superheroes in the movie. And I'm curious, how does someone bring 70 superheroes together? But the reason they have to band together is because Spider-Man can't beat them by himself. Neither can Iron Man, neither can Captain America, even how powerful Hulk is. They can't do it by themselves. They have to come together. They have to put aside their differences to work for a greater good. Brothers and sisters, we have work to do here at Ellerslie. The time is now. We are looking forward to our summer day camp. Nearly 50% of the registrants have no church background. What an opportunity we have to share with them the good news of the gospel. We need friendly and welcoming faces to join our first impression team. We have a fantastic soundboard back there. Do you wanna join the tech team? We live in one of the fastest growing parts of the entire country. Will you invite your neighbors over to your home for a meal or dessert? Will you invite your neighbors to come with you to an event here at the church? Will you invite your neighbors to come to Alpha and sit with them yourself thinking, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Christianity. Join us together with Jesus to save the world. But before we do that, let me tell you that there is a cost involved. Nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. In the second part of the message this morning, Is Paul saying to Timothy, there will be suffering if we're going to move forward to this reward. A number of years ago, I watched an interview with one of my favorite authors, the late Dallas Willard, was a respected Christian, uh, writer on spiritual formation, and also a philosopher at the University of Southern California. And in this interview, he was asked, what should be shared during a time of evangelism? Yes, we want people to know, love, and experience Jesus as their king, but what else do we need to tell them? And I remember very clearly this deep and thoughtful man, now in his late 60s, early 70s, leaning back in his chair and going, hmm, we need to tell them about the lions. I don't remember exactly what he said after that, but the discussion focused not just on telling people the good news, but reminding them that we are going to enter a life that is going to include suffering. You'll be asked to give of your time, you'll be asked to give of your money, You'll be asked to use your gifts and your talents and your life experiences to help the kingdom of God. Nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. In rapid succession, Paul is going to give us three different images that together form a picture of what it means to guard the gospel. He's going to tell us about a soldier who has a single-minded desire to please God, an athlete who obeys God's rules to succeed, a farmer where the hard work promises a blessing. Verses 3 to 4 tell us about the soldier. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. The letter that Paul wrote to Timothy was written while the apostle Paul was in prison, which gave him plenty of time to observe soldiers and meditate on the parallels between them and the Christian life. As Paul was watching them, I'm guessing he thought to himself, no soldier expects a safe and easy life. They expect hardship, they expect risk and suffering. All of this is par for the course. At this very moment, my best friend is in Regina, going through 12 weeks of intensive training for law enforcement. He's learning about the law, he's learning hand-to-hand combat, he's learning how to properly handle a gun, and so much more. We've been texting regularly throughout the weeks, and he's telling me about some of the training that he's going through. Very early on, within the first couple of weeks, one of the training officers said, to all of you who are here, know this. Almost certainly, every single one of you will have PTSD at some point in your career. A couple of weeks later, he texted me, and he said, we got off early this Friday. And I said, oh, that's great. And he goes, not really. The reason we got off early is because everyone had to experience what it was like to be pepper sprayed in the face. He told me the physical training is so difficult and my friend is in great shape that it feels like his lungs are going to burst out of his chest. And yet my best friend is willing to go through this type of training so that he can move back to Edmonton and protect us civilians. When a soldier enters the battlefield, it's a matter of life and death. A lack of obedience means either you or your unit, potentially even both, might die. And the Apostle Paul is saying the Christian life is likened to a soldier. There's a story in the book of Matthew where a centurion comes to Jesus and asks him to come and heal his servant. And Jesus agrees to come to this man's home and heal him. Listen to the soldier's response in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and he does it. The next verse says Jesus was astonished at this man's faith. Jesus is our Lord and our King. He's our commander and our chief, and he is good. He wants the best for us as individuals, and he knows the best for us will mean the best for the kingdom of God. He knows what it's going to take for the kingdom to be advanced and he would never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. Nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. Standing for what is right, especially in the face of such a terrible enemy, will mean suffering is to be expected. No one goes to war and expects to come home unscathed. Jesus' work on the cross cost him his life. And obediently following Jesus means we can expect suffering along the way. To quote Dallas Willard again, beware of the lions. A soldier has a single-minded desire to please God. An athlete must obey God's rule to succeed. This is verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. I think one of the greatest modern-day inventions is the PVR. I've only owned one for about four or five years, and it is glorious. I no longer have to worry about commercials. I don't have to worry about being home at Thursday night at 8 o'clock to watch my favorite TV show. But I grew up that way. You had to make sure you had no other plans to watch your favorite TV show because you would miss out on that great event. But there were some events that were absolutely worth setting aside an entire evening for. Certain events that you didn't want to miss because you knew the very next day people would be at the water cooler, people would be in their classrooms, and they would be saying, Did you see what happened yesterday? And I think one of those events is the Olympic Summer Games, specifically the 100 meter sprint, arguably the biggest event during the Summer Olympics. And in 1988, our collective country held its breath because Ben Johnson was the favorite. In 1988, I was seven years old, and I was vibrating with excitement. Is Ben Johnson going to win the 100-meter sprint? As the athletes lined up, they were starting to stretch, and I remember being in my living room, and I'm stretching. The athletes are kind of shaking out their legs. I'm shaking out my legs. The athletes are in the starting blocks. I crouch by the TV, and Dad yells, Get out of the way! Magical moments. The gun went off and in 9.79 seconds I had to look it up, Ben Johnson won an Olympic gold medal for Canada. You probably know what happened three days later. It came to light that he was part of a doping scandal. His medal stripped. Brothers and sisters, what has God called you to do? There's an incredible reward at the end of this race, but we must compete according to the rules. As you spend time with God, how are you being called into a deeper life of holiness and integrity? What is God doing in you, with you, and through you? Perhaps through Bible reading, through ha- perhaps through Sunday mornings, the groups that you're a part of, to soften the rough edges and make you more like his son. Who do you have a deep and meaningful Christian relationship with? Who are you building into who at the same time is building into you? Who can you call at a moment's notice and say, I just need to talk? Who can you call who will come over and help you move, who will watch your kids, who will sit with you and just have a cup of coffee as you unpack what's going on in your life? Who are you, that friend, to someone else? How are you serving the church, the community, or our world? What are you doing that goes beyond yourself to impact the world for Jesus Christ? If you don't know, will you connect with somebody here? Somebody at the Connect kiosk, somebody at the info booth, we would love to partner with you to see the good news of Jesus go into South Edmonton and beyond. What is God calling you to do today? For many of us, it's being faithful to what we're already doing, but for some of us, it means making a declaration. I'm gonna work together for tomorrow because Southwest Edmonton is filling up with young families and we wanna see this community changed for Jesus. A soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Suffering and reward, this is verse six. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The work of a farmer is never done long hours, back-breaking labor, in hopes of a harvest to come. While there's certainly a dependency on the weather, much of the harvest is based on the hard work leading up to that point. There's also a progression that the Apostle Paul is making. If you follow the single-mindedness of a soldier, if you compete according to the rules like an athlete, you'll receive the harvest of a hard-working farmer. A farmer may not receive glamour and applause, but when the work is slow and steady, when there's a long obedience in the same direction, there's a wonderful harvest to be received. Look around you right now. Look at the people. Look at this building. Think about the 200 kids who are in kids' ministry between the two services. Do you think anybody was dreaming of this reality 40, 50, or even 70 years ago? This church started in 1947. 1947. With a group of men and women who had a single-minded focus to glorify God in all that they said, all that they said, did and thought. Over the next several decades was a passion to obey God's rules and believe that He would bring success. And over the course of the last seven decades, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of men and women have given money, have given time have given of their gifts and experiences so that we might have this building the way we have it today, impact these people the way we're impacting these people today and have this impact in southwest Edmonton that we hope to have today and tomorrow. Back up from 70 years ago. Do you think nearly 2,000 years ago a band of a bunch of teenagers and close to 100 other people had any idea what they were embarking on? After Jesus rose from the grave, just before he ascended into heaven, he looked at his group of followers and he said this in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. and You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. They knew that if they were willing to suffer for the gospel, the reward would span across the world. They knew with a desire to please God and to obey his rules that there would be a blessing that would exceed to the ends of the wor- earth Because of these faithful men and women, the number grew from a little over a hundred to a few thousand within the week. And 2,000 years later, over a billion people call themselves followers of Jesus. The good news of Jesus not only spanned borders, it jumped across nations and across the oceans. It's good news for the rich, it's good news for the poor, it's good news for the orphan and the widow, it's good news for all people at all times and all places. There will be a suffering but there is a great reward. We wrap up today's message with verse 7. Reflect on what I am saying, says Paul to his young protege, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Sometimes at the end of a message, you're waiting for that application. Okay, Dave, I'm ready for it. Just tell me what I need to do. I have no intention of doing that today. I'm much more concerned with the implication of this message rather than the application of this message. With a verse 7 in front of you, whether on your device or in your Bibles, look at what it has to say. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. There is difficulty, but there is great fellowship and reward. To put it into a memorable package, nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. Gospel work is going to cost us something, but there will be a great reward, whether in this world or in the heaven to come. If we are going to work together for tomorrow, if we're going to work for the next generation, if we're going to work to impact South Edmonton for Jesus, it's going to take a lot of work and push us out of our comfort zone, and we need to consider the cost. Reflect on these words. Brothers and sisters, what are you willing to give to this church? As we think about a new project that may eventually turn into a building project, what are you willing to give? A one-time donation, a little bit above and beyond each week. What will you give so that we can see these dreams become a reality? How are you going to be involved so that when people come to our church, they might immediately experience the love of God? How will you serve this church, this community, and this world? Who are you going to pray for? Invite to your home. Invite here to church. Invite to Alpha so that they might hear the good news of the gospel. You might be saying to yourself, Dave, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. What if my friends reject me? What if I'm holding just a little bit too tightly to that money and I'm not ready to let it go? What if my calendar's already too full? Friends, the good news of the gospel is Jesus absolutely understands these hardships. One of his closest friends betrayed him, which led to his death on the cross. He left the throne room of heaven with all of its riches and all of its beauty and all of its power. And though he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that we might become rich. And Jesus knew that in the midst of his most painful suffering, he would receive the greatest reward, an eternal relationship with anyone who believes in him. Nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this pastoral epistle. We thank you for this letter that a seasoned pastor is writing to his young protege. And we thank you for how it has impacted all of us today and millions upon millions of people for the last two millennia. Lord, please forgive us when we hold on to our money too tightly when we want to protect our own calendar, when we don't know with, how or with whom to serve. Instead, oh God, we ask that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. That you would equip us to share the good news, to do so with boldness and with excitement as we talk to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members. That we would give freely, recognizing that we are but managers of this money that you have given us. That we would give of our time, so that we would see people come to faith, because that is the greatest reward we could ask for. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.